97 South's Storytellers features conversations with professional songwriters and seeks to pull back the curtain on the art, craft, and career of songwriting. We'll bring you to those magical moments of creativity that have delivered the inspiring songs that make up the soundtrack of our lives. Hi, I'm Paul McGuire. And today my guest is Lee Thomas Miller, a renowned Nashville-based songwriter from Kentucky who has written seven number one hits with multiple Grammy nominations and Song of the Year awards from the CMA and ACMs. Lee Thomas also serves as the president of the board for the Nashville Songwriters Association International, advocating for composers' rights before Congress. It is my pleasure today to chat with Lee Thomas Miller. You are here today as a multi-Grammy-nominated uh, guy with a whole bunch of number one hits and everything, but where did it start for you? Where did the, um, who, who's responsible? Who's to blame for putting a guitar in your hands, for getting you addicted to music? Where did it start? I was on a tobacco farm in Nicholasville, Kentucky, and, and nothing will make you seek another avenue than a tobacco farm in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I was about 10 or 11, went to a cousin's house. They had a piano. I'd never really thought much about it. Literally was bored at the cousin's house, piddling around with the piano. <clears throat> on the way home, I told my mother, I said, I think it'd be kind of cool to take piano lessons. You know, it's one of those deals. We were super poor, but I didn't know it until I was an adult, just yeah. how poor we were. Yeah. Um, she went and got me piano lessons, and I started playing piano. And <laughs> later she referred to it as the curse because I just went crazy from that. Piano, guitar, um, that first piano lesson, the first teacher in the neighborhood somewhere. Oh no, it was this. Uh, it was this little small uh, Nicholasville, Kentucky. Uh, my grandparents had been there, you know, forever, and um, it was uh, a family friend's daughter who yes. still just loves the fact that she was my first piano teacher. Of course, you know. So I would I would go to her house and and she would teach me piano and then. What were you learning? What was what, what did she? Oh, how learned, did she infect it's, you? No, it's basic piano. You start yeah. at the beginning. You. You know, proper piano lessons is you start learning to read music. Yeah. And I started learning to read music with her, and, and I was really into it. And then uh, we went to our church pianist, who was uh, kind, of a, kind of a next level. And so I started taking lessons from her, started playing guitar. I asked for violin lessons, random, because the group Alabama was my heroes. And uh, Jeff Cook played fiddle. And uh, my mother rented a violin and took me once a week to Lexington to take a violin lesson. I put my own little band together, and so I'm playing piano and guitar and fiddle and harmonica and steel guitar. You were thirsty, just, you were thirsty for it. Take me to those I, fiddle I, lessons. Let's I just, go. Oh, you just walk in. It's like you know nothing. And at that time, I was probably 12 or 13. And, and um, you know, again, I'm just like, show me. How to, show me. Just teach me. And um, I had a band, and we're, I'm, you know, my poor little buddies from high school, they just wanted to have fun and chase girls yeah. And the music was secondary, and I'm like, oh, no. Practice is Sunday at 2. Do not be – I was, you know, those kids still probably kind of hate me because I sucked all of the fun out of it. We were very serious. I like – no, but I like this. This is, this is really good. You're prepping them for – or you're prepping yourself for the future. It sounds like you were kind of like running the show. Yeah, yeah. I was very, uh, very heavy-handed. Were, cousin... were you just playing Alabama covers? What were you no, playing? No, no. It, it was whatever. Whatever was popular at the time and then old country. It was classic country. You know, and rehearsals, and, let's go. No, let's go. We'd, we'd rehearse. We would go and get people to let us play for free at their house parties. or There'd be festivals in our little town. and we'd, Daddy would pull a tobacco wagon up, and we would set our stuff up and, 
and we would start singing and um and then that would lead to more shows and we actually played quite a bit for kids you know and that went on for a few years i went to college um my mother wanted me to outgrow this and go do something else did she really think you were going to outgrow it nobody had ever left the farm you know it it was fun and she enjoyed it until it come time to talk about leaving you know but you're not going to leave nobody leaves you know and i tell people right now my mother went to be with jesus pissed off that i left and having success only made it worse Oh, because they were, don't encourage him. Don't clap for his songs. I think so. And I, one time she said, and she's very country. And I say all of this with love to my mother. But of just, course. just tells you who she was. She was so, she was so country. And um, she was born and died in the same room. Yeah, that is country. Yeah. And she, she'd been to six or seven states. And yeah. she would tell you she had traveled vastly more than she wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I've seen it all. I don't need to go anywhere no. else. And um, she called me one day and she said, well, I was checking out at the grocery store and there was a country weekly magazine on the rack. And there's an article in there about you and that song. Yeah, Mama, I know. Well, there's a picture and it's about the size of a postage stamp and you look old and tired. Oh Who took God. that picture? <laughs> Can you give me the number of that photographer, please? I'm like, well, glad you're proud. Did she ever connect the dots with, like, fame, success, any of those things that were coming from the fact that her her kid who didn't know any better was thirsty to learn music and it was leading to something else? I don't know. I, I, it all happened fast. And, yeah. You know, we, we go to college. I went to Eastern Kentucky University, which um, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just by, I, I wanted to go to Nashville, but yeah. I wasn't ready at 18. You know, it, I wasn't good enough. I mean, not that you're ever good enough for Nashville, but I, I knew that that wasn't the right move. So I thought, okay, I'll go to college. She wanted me to go to college. So we go to <laughs> orientation at Eastern Kentucky University, and they take yeah. – and I had no idea what I was going to do, right? And uh, they take the parents one way, and they take the kids the other way, and we get the whole orientation of the school, and, and they're getting their view of it. Kids are getting their view of it. We come back together four or five hours later, and I have declared myself as a music major. And she she was not okay. I, I, I started as a classical guitar major, which was as dead-ended as it sounds – um, they really didn't have a classical guitar teacher. They had a wonderful teacher, but that really wasn't his thing. And then uh, I was doing really, really good in music theory, which everybody else hated but yeah. me, and I was fascinated. And um, have we? What was, the first it, what was it about the music theory? Was it the math of it? It was. I've it done was, a little bit of theory, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was like um, you would take, ultimately, you would take a, a Mozart sonata, piano sonata, and um, you would go through, and every single note, played a role like there there would be a you would tell what in that chord in that passage every note is a what and it would be hundreds of notes and you would label them you know in in the chord and the the harmonization and everything and i, I was i was fascinated and, yeah. and and you were supposed to go and play it on the play it and write it and figure it out playing it but but it was it was visual it was no this is the chord. That means this is this. I never played a note of it. I would get hundreds on every one of these things out of hundreds of notes because it was math. So yeah. I changed to music theory. Music. I got my degree as a music theory, classical composition, uh, bachelor's degree. Um, but then I also studied classical piano and classical violin and classical voice all the way through. I tell people I'm the most out of practice, worst classical violinist 
you will ever meet. But it was an amazing education. I hear you talking about this this guy in school who's um, fascinated by the notes and the charts and everything and everything. Nothing is wasted. By the way, you remind uh, uh, when I hear people talk about you know beautiful films or beautiful. Uh, there's never you know a wasted line or a wasted shot. You know the, you know if you go see a perfect film that just kind of like cuts together perfectly, you're like not one shot was without purpose. And this is like what you're saying about the, you know Mozart, those lines in Mozart. No, not that that's breaking news, but um. Uh, 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 you, you talk about that. You talk about yourself during that time, almost like, like it's somebody else. Can you remember what it was like? The, the fact that you were amazed with that, is that still who you are today? The way that you feel about music and the awe that you have for yeah, it? Yeah. I yeah. I mean, look, d- decades in the business, you know, will beat you up a little bit, but, <laughs> yeah. but as far as great, great anything and, and look, art's art. It's all just somebody's opinion. Same with classical music. It's like I, I fell just deeply in love with the classical period, Haydn and and uh, uh, Schubert and, and Beethoven and, and Mozart. And to me, just and Mozart is absolutely king, and that's not a cliche. We all know Mozart's a genius, but until you're sitting there studying it and taking it apart, you know, and, and we did everything leading up to it. We go from Baroque and, and, and Bach was, was brilliant, but very technical, you know, and, um, and then past – you know, you get past the classics and there's a lot of the romantic period that's pretty great. And then you get into 20th century music and you're like, stab me in the eye with a pitchfork. This is <laughs> this is terrible. You know, so then I walk away today going the, the music that I love, I yeah. love, you know, okay. and it's the same with contemporary music. If I you know, there's a lot I don't like, but if I like it, I'm, I'm kind of giddy about it. You know? Okay, so I'm I'm trying to think of some uh, some uh, comparables here. You can break down now. You've you've switched your major. You now know the nuts and bolts of of music. You can break down the, you know, maybe uh, chord progressions and from classical music and other other genres. Um, I'm thinking about somebody that wants to take apart a car to figure out how it works, and then it ends up going on to become an incredible. Um, automotive engineer or something like that. That's kind of a little bit what you did. You were studying the masters mm-hmm. and then you went and created your own, mm-hmm. your own songs because you had already familiarized yourself to the point of, you know, with, with years and years and hours and hours of deconstruction mm-hmm. of, of um, like the literal notes, note by note to mm-hmm. figure out what you liked and what worked for you as a songwriter. So when did the switch happen for you? And when did you become a songwriter? So while I'm studying classical music during the day, I'm going to the clubs at night, and, and I'd moved on. I was playing with you know adult bands, you yeah. know, um, more than I really should have been to be in college, you know. So I'm playing honky tonks at night, and we I still had my own band for a long time, um, I, and it wasn't that far from where I grew up. It was like 45 minutes away, and so I'd come home on the weekends, and we would we would work. We worked a lot, especially in the summer. We'd work every weekend, you know, gigs, and you know, made enough money to buy gear. Yeah. And um, but then even at the end of college, I was working with kind of an adult band there in town, gearing up to move to Nashville. But the whole time you're playing, and, and you know, I'm I'm playing the stuff I love. I loved Alabama. I loved George Strait. And um, now I was a, a country kid. I was aware of all the great '80s rock music, but but my wife has always been fascinated because you know I graduated high school in '86, and we'll be somewhere, and there'll be some. I don't know, classic, you know, arena rock thing from 1988. 
playing and she'll just look at me and say, you really don't know this song. And I'll say, I, I was playing Merle Haggard and George Jones. I, I you know, I, I'm a, I appreciate it. But, but when you're, when you're playing every night and you're learning these songs, you start looking at songwriters who wrote these. And, uh, and at some point you think, I wonder if I could do this or you start writing. And like I tell kids who are wanting to learn to write, you're going to mimic the people you love. Sure. You know, so I'm writing stuff that I thought sounded like those guys. Yeah, you know? imitation so, is the sincerest form of flattery, right? Yeah, and that used to be much more so true than now. I mean, we used to be a lot less litigious than we are now. Correct. Uh, because there's, there is something to be said for, I don't know, I'm shaping this after some magical thing that you freaking invented. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, that was me, and I, I started writing. I wasn't serious about it, really. Um, you know, I'd write and orchestrate stuff for school for a grade. Yeah. I remember we would write stuff and they'd bring in an ensemble from the symphony and they would play what we just wrote. And that was a thrill. Is you this know, instrumental mainly? Up. It started instrumentally? That did. Yeah, it was all, yeah. Yeah, yeah all, all that was all, you know, very, uh, we'd write sonatas and, and stuff like that. <laughs> we'd write, yeah, we, what'd you do today? Oh, we just, you know, whipped off a couple of sonatas. Well, that's why I loved college. You know, people say I hated college, and I'm like, holy crap. I wrote string quartets when I was in college, and then the, then they would come in and play them. You know, there wasn't a whole lot not to like. Now, I would have been a terrible boyfriend in college because I, I was very, you know, I'm Mozart during the day, and I'm George Jones at night. And if you can fit somewhere in about 2.45 in the afternoon, we can have – a, a, a Coke, you know, um, I was absolutely obsessed. That's a line in a song, a Mozart during the day, I'm George Jones at night, by the way. Look at you, you can't help but write. Uh, okay, so when does the lyric come in, and what's the first song about, and is it is it as simple as a love song? Oh, it's it's as simple as whatever the, the look, there's only so many themes. Yep. You're looking for the girl, you lost the girl, you wish you had the girl, wow, my truck is really cool. I mean, I want <laughs> you know, I was thinking, when you were telling me about uh, uh, your mom saying nobody, or you saying nobody leaves the farm, I was thinking that sounds like that. There's a, nobody leaves the farm, and then people leave the farm, and all they want to do is get back to the farm. And we write that theme constantly. <laughs> Although I will say this: living in a place where everyone left the farm, yeah. you know, it's like few of us are from Nashville, you know, and and, and that you, we've known thousands of people, good friends and acquaintances, that came with as much of the dream as we did, and just said, "I'm out," you know, and they went back. But, but that being said, it's like all this music about that small town and there will never be anything as great as that small town. And I will never, ever, ever leave this small town. Guess what? Those songs were written by people that absolutely left that small town and never went back, which is always ironic to me. You know? OK, so it was pretty obvious from an early age that you um, y y your music acumen was through the roof. So, uh, but the songwriting part of it is a different deal. Song, being a proficient musician is a different thing than being a songwriter. Am I right? Well, so I go to college because I needed to be a better musician because I'm going to Nashville where it definitively is the greatest musicians in the world. I was aware. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, songwriting was just on the side. I, I wasn't learning how to do it. I just was piddling with it while trying to be a better musician. Got to Nashville. Um, got here on June 1st, uh, got an audition, got the gig as Tom T. Hall's fiddle player um, two weeks after I got here. Thank and you, I Alabama. Got, Thank and you, I, Alabama, for making the fiddle cool. Yep. 100%. And I was like, I'm better than I thought I was. Watch this. I got on the bus with Tom T. Hall on July 2nd. He fired me July 6th because I was not ready. <laughs> it was the ultimate welcome to the big leagues, kid. 
you know. And it was yeah. as bad as that day was, I remember thinking this will be profound somehow because I'm never leaving. You know, if I starve to death, it'll be here. Um, but that began the, you know, that's, I didn't know what I was doing. I was scared to death, but I was here. And um, it cost a lot less to live here in 1991 than it does today. Yes, sir. Um, but but long story short, I'm I'm doing auditions and I'm getting better and I'm practicing and I'm putting in all the time and I'm paying the dues and um. You're auditioning to be to be like the tour fiddle player. Yeah, or yeah. To like be, I, yeah. I, I I almost got the Martina McBride gig when she went out. You know, there's all these things I was right on the brink of getting. I wasn't ready. I wasn't good enough. But <laughs> I absolutely had to want to. It was yeah. like whatever I lack and whatever else, I want it bad enough and I, I'll I'll do whatever I got to do. Just you know, and. Kind of was legitimately, and, and I decided fiddle because there were fewer of those guys. Piano, <laughs> piano players in this town are like, they're Einsteins. They're like, I don't know. Just, Which is mind-blowing because there's not nearly enough piano, and this is obviously personal for me. There's not nearly enough piano in my country music these days. No, nope, there's not. More in it. It's yeah. hysterical. And, yeah. and ultimately, fiddle died. The the amount of fiddle that was on the radio in the '90s compared to the early two uh, to two thousands was stunning. I never it dreamed. seems to be. I mean, you've probably heard it creeping back at more of a, a, like out of nostalgia because a lot of the kids that were growing up in the '90s that's the stuff that was being played in the background, and they're doing it almost as like a shout out. But you're talking within the last three or four years. That's correct. I mean, it's yeah. been gone. I, yeah. I, I I never dreamed the steel guitar would outlive the fiddle, and it really did un until recently. But Somewhere along the way, early, three or four years in, there was a, a producer who was putting together this little trio around a girl that he worked with, and I auditioned for it, and I got it, and it was uh, we were going to write a project and get a record deal. So I spent probably six to nine months every day writing with these guys and recording, and he had a studio, and I had full use of the studio. If nobody was in there, I learned the studio there how to record and all all of it and um and really learn how to write because I was writing every day and that led to writing with music row people and I remember the first day I was in the room with somebody who had the number one song on the radio um and I was writing with them and I was like okay well, this is this is intimidating but this is interesting and um I was always a really good idea person I wasn't going to dazzle them with melody or lyrics because they'd been doing it a lot longer than me. But what they needed was ideas because you learn that the guys that write every day, they run out of ideas. So I would come in with 500 ideas and I would say, how about this? That's terrible. How about this? Well, that's worse. How about this? You're getting warmer. How about this? You know, and ultimately are they, they are they that brutal? Are those rooms that brutal? That's terrible. It just depends. Yeah, I mean, okay. all of us are more brutal than others on some days. I mean, I've okay. had I've had huge songwriters that just gutted me. You know, I've had huge songwriters that were their bedside m manner was pretty good. But yeah. you better be pretty good, or you don't really get a lot of shots. Yeah. And um, I got better at knowing what was good and. All of a sudden, a lot of these guys would write with me because I had I had legitimate ideas. When you say ideas, what do you can you can you qualify that for me? Can, is it like you came with um, here are here's the beginning, here's something, and then we're going to go into this, and th this is what the tempo starts? Is it that specific? It's usually titles. 
Lost titles. titles like, are, okay, so that's you said you weren't great with lyrics. Titles is like that's no. Key. I'm talking about when I was young, when I was beginning. I, yeah. Whether I was good with lyrics or not, I didn't know. I wasn't. I'd never <laughs> been on the radio. I mean, yeah. I wasn't going to try to impress them with a the first verse because I didn't know. Okay. But but you said what you just said. You said here's the beginning. If I'd said um, how about a title? Here's the beginning, and. Um, you're you're looking at the relationship and um you're you're looking back over it and it fell apart here and it, it it was great here but here's the beginning and you tell the story about the night you met her whatever yeah, it's great. the title right um I, I would have billions of those you know and it's like we're going to find something you like and and it's still my thing i'm still going to walk in with i'm never going to walk in and say i don't have anything i'm going to say oh i've got stuff you were so focused on learning and you you know to you said yourself, um, to the exclusion of maybe like going out on dates and partying and doing all of that stuff. You were kind of like working, working, working at your craft, even though maybe you didn't see it that way at the time. This is just something that you wanted to do, an itch you needed to scratch. Um, you still, obviously, if a guy who has 500 titles is an observer, would you say that that, that is um, vital for great songwriters to have, to be observers of what's going on around them? I think it's a skill that I learned. Yeah, okay. You know, I... <sighs> You have to research. You have to be prepared. Um, you have to pay attention. You know, in the days, well, I mean, anything I formulated then, I still use every day. But I started being aware that I, I need, I need these thoughts. I need these sentiments. I need these titles. I need these emotions. Um, so you start being more intentional. You're you're watching the movie, and. Um, Everybody else is watching the movie, but you're listening to the words. Yeah. And um, the Titanic, I always tell this story. My, my first number one record, my first hit, the song that changed my life, is a song called The Impossible. And the first line of the the chorus is, the unsinkable ship sink. And people know the song because of that. It was, it was nominated for a Grammy. It, it really, it, it changed everything. Well, this was before iPhones. Um, sometimes you'd carry a pencil and paper in your pocket, but not always. I didn't have anything. We're sitting in the movies watching the Titanic, the biggest movie in the world. We're two minutes into a three-hour movie, and I thought unsinkable ships sink. And was miserable for the rest of the movie, afraid I would forget it. <laughs> Literally got to the truck and wrote it down and ran it by a couple of people. And they're like, You're distracted by this siren going off in your head. Yeah. I, I didn't know what to do with it, but I knew yeah. it sounded good. And, and, um, Ran about a few people. I remember somebody going, so now we're writing a song about the Titanic. And I'm like, I don't know. And uh, wrote it, pulled it out one day. We turned it into what we turned it into, and it changed my life. That's You learn to be aware. And um, that's what I was doing back then. I, I was, you know, just paying attention. I walked into a bookstore one time, and there was a, a – and just looking at titles, you just look at, you know, 200,000 titles of books. Wait until something hits you. and. There was a book called, uh, just said, Love is a Journey. And I looked at that book and I wrote down, Life is a Journey, Love is a Trip. And it's been recorded twice. Yeah. yeah. That's, you learn to be aware. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it's not, I mean, God doesn't always just say, here, live like you're dying. I mean, sometimes he does, but but usually it's it's a word that makes you Say it backwards. I was going to say Joe Nichols and and uh, uh, and Tim McGraw both. Uh, oh, you and Tim Nichols. Uh, you know, there's there. You must when you bump into these guys, you you guys must be like, hey, what's up? They're like, we know, we know, 
we affected each other's lives in massive ways. No, and ways. they're very, um, as a rule, they're very, Joe Nichols would hug my neck and he would still say nice things. Of course so they, he would. They know. Of course he would. I, you know, just just as a, a, a quick aside before I forget it, uh, the Titanic affected you, and then you had a storm called uh, a, a song called "Perfect Storm" for Mr. Paisley, right? Mm-hmm. That's also a movie about a boat that goes down. No, no. Did well, you know that? Yeah. What's going on with you I, in the fixation I, of drowning I, at sea? I, I, I don't know. I've also <laughs> I've also successfully uh, had number one hits and won awards on ballads that say the word helicopter or or plumber. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. 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 Helicopter. I'm, I'm okay. I know what rhymes with helicopter. Yeah. Just, just make sure it doesn't have to rhyme. That's right. Mm-hmm. Make sure it doesn't have to rhyme. <laughs> uh, that, that's quite something. Um, you know, one of the things I was excited to talk to you about was the fact that um, you have a position being the, the president of the organization, the Songwriters Association International. Is it an elected position, appointed? Are you... How does that work? It's is it like a, com- a Supreme it's Court a justice? Combination, <laughs> in that you're there for life. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I got started when I first started having hits. Uh, I asked too many questions uh, about the adult things, and yeah. somebody asked me to be on the board of, of NSAI, and I was fascinated. You know, and and we were just beginning to kind of get into the legislative world. Started going to Washington D.C., and, and there was a tax bill that we were working on, and. And we changed the United States tax code for the songwriters. And that was very exhilarating. It's like, okay, we can make a difference. And we, it's the grassroots of grassroots. You know, I always yeah. say, you know, I'm the smallest small business. It's me and a guitar. And that, that's how we did Washington. So from there, you know, some time passed and, and I was approached. The executive director come to me and said, would really like to approach the idea of maybe at least nominating you to be president. And I'm like, no. I don't want that. It's too, it's too time-consuming. I've got little kids. I'm working. And about a year later, he come back and said, if you'll say yes, um, you can do it at your own terms. No means no. Travel as much as you can, as much of your time. And he said, um, the good news is it's a really quiet time in copyright legislation right now. There's not a lot going on. So I said yes. And then it wasn't six months later, and the, the chairman of House Judiciary opened up music licensing, which really hadn't been opened up in 50 years. And sure enough, in uh, 2018, I was in the White House when the president signed the Music Modernization Act. It took six years to get there, and it really began what I hope is the future of how songwriters make a living in the business, because we were on a trajectory that we were done. If yeah. something hadn't happened, that 2005 to 2010, we bled out, and it was almost over. So it must it must be you have to wear two hats there, right? Because you're the artist, you're an artist, and there there you are, kind of like arguing on the business side of things. I'm not a lawyer. I go in because I don't talk like that, right? Yeah. I talk like me, and I tell them what it looks like at home. We make this stuff up out of thin air. We write songs about our children. We write songs about our mothers. Famous people go out and sing them on the radio. Boom! I should get paid. When that ended, the songwriters in the United States got a 45 percent increase in their rate from that trial. In the trial, I said, we make this stuff up out of thin air. Somebody's making a whole lot of money on what I make up. I know that because it's a Tuesday and I'm sitting in trial in Washington, D.C. with 60 Harvard lawyers sitting over here trying to take more of it away from me. Somebody's making a lot of money. Yes, sir. People are listening to this who are songwriters already people who have never shared any of their music with anyone yet 
um, the, the successful ones? What's, what's a commonality? Um, I mean, there's a lot. Everybody, everybody wants the formula. Um, there's I'm the, not looking for the secret sauce. It's more, more about the personality traits. You, to me, sound like you weren't like dist- easily distracted. You, you were there for a thing. You were coachable. So is that, is that one of the things that, uh, that, that is important for maybe songwriting? Well, of course. Yeah. Um, first, you're going to have to want it really bad. You know, that's typically the people that, that burn out and don't make it. You didn't want it bad enough. You know, this isn't me. Somebody told me this years ago when we kind of passed it around in Nashville forever. But um, they, they say that, you know, you move to town and if you can and you have a dream, you want to play, you want to sing, you want to write. Um, that's great. But if you can close your eyes and imagine yourself doing anything else, go ahead and do that. Because you already have a plan B. You know, uh, the the people that, that do it, um, it, it's all they know how to do. It's all they want to do. Uh, they're willing to starve. They're willing to be beat up. And <laughs> it is black and blue. It's a no business. They always say no. You know, I always say in Nashville, nobody gets fired if they say no. But if somebody says yes, it might be somebody's job if they're wrong. So they're going to pass, and they're going to pass, and they're going to pass. And um, um, you're also going to have to get up from wherever you live, and you're going to have to come here. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear that. But um, yeah, you know, the, the artists are a little bit different because I mean they're going to have to establish here, you know. But the writers, I mean, you've kind of got to be present to win. If you're a kid and you don't know anybody, first of all, you don't you don't know how to write the songs. You think yeah. you do. But you don't understand the vernacular. You know, it changes every six months. You know, this this melody is dated. You know, it's last year's melody. It's last year's theme. You know, bro country came in and there's this whole new box that we're playing in. Um, and then that was gone and you didn't realize it yet. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah, you're... Do. Yeah, Were you... I mean, you're, as a guy that's got Chris Stapleton cuts, was there a time when you were like, okay, um, I need to not panic when people aren't uh, buying what I'm selling at the moment? It'll oh, come no, back Oh, no, no, I've always panicked. I'm always... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always in a complete state of hysteria. I mean, yeah. there's... I don't get that from you at all. No, 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 no. Well, you, you, don't, you, you don't live with me. Um, no, it, it's... It's always miserable and hard and, and on any – I'm not Tim Nichols. I, I, I'm not the guy – Are you oh, a tortured shucks. artist? Are you no. a tortured artist? Just a tortured – you know, like I don't pitch my own songs. Some, some writers are really good at it, but like um, – what, what does that mean? You well, Okay, I write for a publisher. Uh, I write the song. I demo the song. I hand the publisher the song, and their full-time job is to go play it for the – Artists and the producers and yep. their song pluggers. They pitch the songs. Um, we all have our own relationships. It would be wise if I used my relationships and called Dustin Lynch and said, let me sing you a song, send you a song. A, 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 or Thomas Redd. I mean, occasionally I do. But when they say no, I take it really personal. 
You know, I'm like, well, you know what? I never really liked you anyway. <laughs> you know, we, we aren't really truly friends. And I mean, it's just. Uh, I'm sure the pluggers appreciate you going through the proper protocol, though. No, Instead they would using- love it if I, you know, they would love it if I reached out and said, hey, Tim, uh, can, can I send you this song? Because it makes everybody's job easier. But but while, I, you know, I've written that song, tomorrow I have to write another song. If I get up tomorrow and the first thing that happens is Kenny Chesney said, no, pass, I'm going to go, well, today sucks. It, it's hard. So you're going to have to, you got to find a way to get all, it's, it's a head game, you know. They say no. Okay. Do you think it's harder in art to have somebody uh, not like your your creativity? As well, partly because the people that create the art are crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah, um, we don't live in the same world as other people. I mean, it, here's the difference with business. And understand, I I can't speak for business. I mean, I look. I, you've hung with lawyers, Harvard it, lawyers. I, I on, have on the regular. But the, so the yeah, difference, the the difference is um, what I do is somebody's opinion. That spreadsheet, there's probably a right and a wrong way to do it. So if you just figure out the right way to do the spreadsheet and add the numbers correctly, it's kind of indisputable. Indisputable. It it it, it is or it isn't. You know, in business, what was our quarterly earnings? They're worse than last quarter's earnings. Okay, this is kind of black and white. I play you the song, and it moves you enough that you want to record it and sing it every night in stadiums. Or it doesn't, you know, there's no right and wrong, you know, and, and as songwriters, you get to a point where I'm not saying that everything I write is good, but everything I write is written correctly. Yeah. You know, it, if I say the, the math this, works, the this math is works. finished yeah. and I let you hear it, it's only going to be so wrong. You know, yeah. it may not move you. It may bore you. Um, it may not be compelling or whatever, but it's not bad. Can you uh, do bespoke stuff? I mean, I know you can, obviously, but if I, if somebody comes to you and says, listen, uh, we need a two-minute and 48-second um, mid-tempo ballad, can, will, will you do something as bespoke as that or sure. is, is – yeah? It's just, yeah, I mean, that's about the idea. Yeah. You know? You know, we, we've for years, you know, we've been pitching stuff to Yellowstone. So it's like you're looking for these themes that are very specific. It can't be lyrically right on the nose, but it needs to be emotionally that thing. You know, um, artists all the time will come in and say, you know, I want this specific kind of vibe or this, you know. Sure. So we we, we kind of do that. Okay. I was going to ask you if you'd ever scored a film. I made a decision. I write songs every day. And um, like after that little trio where I was trying to get a record deal in the early 90s, that broke up and that, that producer cut a project on me and shopped me as an artist. Okay. And that was auditioning for all the major record heads and, you know, that whole, you know, dog and pony show, that firing squad, that scariest thing in the world. <laughs> um, but also writing and recording an album and doing my own thing and trying to be an artist and figuring that out. And a publisher came to me and said, uh, I don't think you're an artist, but I think that you could write songs. If you'll quit everything else and just write songs every day, I'll sign you. And I knew that was my break. So I became a commercial country songwriter and really have stayed in that lane. I think about film scores and that kind of stuff, but that's, there's a learning curve that's going to 
Yeah, but you, you're a student, man. You're good at that stuff. Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead is one of, like, you know, uh, uh, one of the most in-demand scorers now of you know, some contemporary directors. And yeah. uh, I don't think that it would be a massive pivot for you. Well, the answer is no. I haven't done it. Okay, good. Yeah, I got you. Um, the, uh, the itch, do you scratch the itch every day? The itch is still there after all these years? Oh, no, every day. No, I'm a, I'm a every day. Every day. Um, my wife will tell you I work more than I actually work. She, the perception is, of course, it is Saturday afternoon. I'm sitting in here talking to you about songwriting, so maybe yeah, I do. You are. Work I appreciate all the time. it. I, don't know. I appreciate um, it. Um, no, I, I, I do. It's like uh, I don't know how people say I'm only going to write two days a week. I, I, I would go crazy. But the other thing that's happened since Nashville has become the it city. Is these bluebird type shows that we're going to come and do for you? It's like it's there's a lot of them, and we get a lot of calls to do them. So I went. I started out as a performer, and then I kind of ended up sitting in a room for a few decades just doing this. And then all of yep. a sudden, um, people call and say, "Hey, will you come tell the stories behind the songs and sing the songs?" And there's a group of us that likes to do it. And so I travel. I don't know, five to ten days a month, maybe. Uh, it, we do corporate shows here, lots of corporate stuff uh, here and away. And um, so, yeah, I write all week and I have a lot of weekends travel and sing. And um, I scratch all the itches. I get to play and I get to write. It drives me crazy. I, I don't know how that, that stuck, the idea of the artist as the, perf- the person who goes on stage. Mm-hmm. I'm like the art, the real, due respect to everybody who goes out and actually does it and sings and stuff. But every, but there's art is everywhere in the music you know, from the Alpha to the Omega. So I'm just kind of like, why does the performer get to call? Well, you know, I was just a songwriter, and then I became an artist. I'm like, no, 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 no. There's the artistry was in the songwriting. You're a performer now. We got it. So I don't know if you can. Lo- you're good at lobbying. So we maybe need to lobby to get rid of that artist uh, uh, moniker being only given to people who, you know, sing for their supper, so to speak. Well, you're kind. I don't think that any of us. Put a whole lot at a. I, I've art noticed. Art in, in, I'm in the one who's pissed off about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it is art. I, I don't know. It's art is almost a dangerous word when you're writing commercial music because, you know, it's like, I, especially we're not. I'm not writing this to sell to the people. I'm writing this hoping that Tim McGraw will sell it to the people. Yeah. You know, so it's like, what's the math? Again, it all kind of comes back to math. I got a buddy. I got a buddy who says we write we write music to make money to buy art. That's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty, that's good. pretty good. You know, I yes, mean, I is. say people will say, "Does it bother you if they change something in your song?" And I'm like, "Did it go number one? If it went number one, no, it sounds brilliant. Well Just done. Beyond, you know? So smart. So smart. Um, I'll <laughs> let you go. I'll let you go. But um, what's the what's the last title? You said titles stick out at you, and you show up with 500 titles. What's the last one that stuck out at you? Like one that came up today or yesterday at breakfast. Wow, that's a, that's a put me on the spot because yeah. this is funny. You would be disappointed in my lack of emotional connection. No, 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 no. I've talked to people who've been around for a long time. I, you know, uh, I, I understand. I understand the um, the business side of this. Uh, it, it's like they strike you as profound, but you immediately write them down because no matter how profound they are, you move on. And sometimes yeah. you come back and they weren't all all that profound. You know, sometimes you finish them and they're a lot more profound than you realized they were, you know, back to the farm. You know, you did paint a very um, uh, 
let's see, a, a, a very Steinbeckian um, portrait of your upbringing, by the way, the whole idea of a tobacco farm. And your mom, who took you to piano lessons, and the next thing. I mean, and look at you now. Look at the president of a, of a writer's association, lobbying in Washington, uh, a bunch of number ones under your belt, and uh, Grammy nominations and the respect of your peers. It's, um, it's quite something, man. It's, it's a blessing. I, I'm, um, if I never did anything else, I'm very proud of, of what it is. Uh, you know, it's – I don't know, but the, the music <laughs> – Music business keeps you humble. Like, so not that I've done that much, but people will. The, the perception is, you know, especially for somebody that's just wanting to break in, they, they think, "Oh my God, you've done this and you've done this and you've done this," and they'll say, "They'll say you seem, you seem humble," and I'll say, "Buddy, we get beat up so much. If you can succeed in the music business and still be an arrogant butthole, you are a sociopath." Because you have, I have spent thirty years with people going, yeah, that's not really that good. That's not really that good. Or, 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 uh, hmm, was that serious? Was that? Are you trying? Because that seems, it seems like you'd be better than this. But I mean, just, just lay, yeah. especially buddies like you know the Brad Paisleys of the world who I'm very close with. They'll just go, oh my god, did, why did you even come over here? Did you sleep last night? That's hideous. Talk about the industry keeping you humble, right? Um, He said one of the things that he learned after a couple of trips down in Nashville is people love, if you can play, if you're a great instrumentalist, they like you. If you're a great songwriter, they like you. If you're a great hang, they love you. (laughs) So a little bit of that. No, it goes a long way. And and you'll see kids who, who, you know, you know, they're just, they're just not good guys or they're, you know, or they're, they think it's oh no because they didn't last round. I know. You know who they are. I mean, almost nobody. You know, right out of the gate, it's yeah. just kind of like no, this is not, this is not for you, you know. Um, yeah, but, but that's not different than any other business. Just, no, you know, if there's of the millions of things I've tried to teach my children, the number one, right out of the gate, is hey, just don't be an asshole. Just, just live by that and that kind of covers everything uh i can't thank you enough for this it was a real pleasure and i i, I look forward to uh, getting to bump into you in person uh, in british columbia this summer we're gonna have a it's good time be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I really uh you uh you're a wise man and your journey is uh remarkable thank it's you. awesome can't we're wait we're gonna have a lot of fun thank you so much for this all right paul thank real pleasure thanks for listening this has been storytellers Join us this summer on the shores of Lake Okanagan, beautiful Penticton, British Columbia, with Triumph's Rick Emmett, Nashville hitmakers Jamie O'Neill, Lee Thomas Miller, Wendell Mobley, 97 South Song Sessions veteran Tim Nichols, and the one and only Paul Brandt. For an experience you'll remember always, the 97 South Song Sessions Songwriters Festival is happening this July 20th to the 22nd in Penticton, British Columbia's incomparable wine country an intimate Bluebird-style music performance that features songwriters in the round playing their hits and relating stories of a life in music. Tickets and information at 97southsongsessions.com. Download the free Stingray Music mobile app and listen to the 97 South Song Sessions channel today. Stingray Music. Life's on you. Music's on us.